So we think about scripture tonight. I need a volunteer, a young guy. Alan? You want to? Or you want one of your sons to come? Come on, Colin. Have a jar here. And a $5 bill. I would like you to take the $5 bill. You can take it and put it in the jar. Okay, now I want you to take the jar and put it over on the organ bench. And you may go sit down now. I'll call you up a little later, okay? What did Colin said on the organ bench? Okay, a jar with five dollars in it. Did he move the jar? And what automatically went with because he moved the jar? The money, five bucks. We've been talking about being in Christ, and we come to Christ, we come into relationship with God by faith, but we also walk by faith. So at a point in time, we came to salvation, and that involved in Christ. It involved a helpless dependency. I can't do anything about my sin. I've got to depend upon Christ. Romans 1 through 11 talks about that. And Romans 1 through 11 talks about faith. Then we think about living Romans 12 through 16, or we think about living our day-by-day living, and that again is in Christ. There's helpless dependency, and that's in Romans 12 through 16, and it's by faith. Please understand that salvation coming into relationship with God is by faith. Day-by-day living is by faith. They're one and the same. We don't come by faith into a relationship with God, and then we try to live the Christian life. We live the Christian life in faith, as we'll illustrate tonight. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul writes very clearly about sin, the fact that we are in sin. We're separated from God because of sin. And then in chapter, the end of chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, he talks about faith and the fact that we can be justified, declared righteous, through faith in Christ. And then we get to chapter 6, and he talks about being dead to sin, alive in Christ. And apparently there was some teaching going around Rome that if you sin a lot, it takes more grace to forgive a lot. So why not sin more so you, you display God's grace? By forgiving more. So if you disobey your parents... Ten days in a row, that takes more discipline and forgiveness from your parents than if you disobeyed them one out of ten. So why not let's just sin a lot so that we magnify God's grace? 
And he's writing to believers, and apparently some people were saying, sin a lot, because if you sin a lot, you magnify God's grace. And we want to magnify God's grace, don't we? And Paul writes in response to that. And again, as we read through Romans 6, 1 through 14, look for the phrases, into Christ Jesus, with him or with Christ, and in Christ. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I'll sin a lot. I'll magnify God's grace. Paul says, shall we do that? His answer, by no means. God forbid, depends on the translation you have. God forbid, by no means. Why is he so emphatic? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? The idea of died is separation. An illustration of died in a different way is that you go down to Luzerne County, we have inmates there. And someone unlocks the whole prison. What can the inmates do? They can walk out. In essence, we have been locked into sin. When we die to sin, what happens? The doors of the prison of sin are open, and we're free to walk out. We're no longer captive to it. Another illustration would be having your dog chained outside, and that dog is limited in how far it can go. Believers are basically, I'm sorry, unbelievers are basically chained to sin. So you walk up to your dog, unhook the chain, and the dog's free to go wherever. God has, through Christ, opened or unchained us from sin. God forbid, by no means, we died to sin. How can you live any longer in it? The answer is, you can't. He goes on in verse 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Notice, into Christ Jesus, into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, he's kind of presenting an argument we died to sin. He amplifies in that in verse 3. Don't you know that when you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death? So when Christ died, who died? Everyone in Christ. So when he died to conquer sin, the believer is there with him. We were also therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So when Christ came from the dead, who else came from the dead? We did, the believer. Okay, Colin, if you want to come up here again, please. 
I would like for you to take the jar now and I want you to move it to the piano bench. Just the jar. No, just the jar. I didn't say take anything out. Just move the jar. I'll explain. Go ahead, Colin. By the way, after the service, you can get the $5 out of the jar. Okay, you can set it in the piano bench and you can go sit down. Now, the jar was moved. What else was moved? The money. Now, picture the jar as being Christ. The $5 being believers. When the jar is moved... The $5 is automatically moved. So when Christ died, the jar, if you please, who died with him? Believers. When the jar, Christ, if you please, came from the dead, who came from the dead? Believers. He says, you died to sin. How can you live any longer in it? You've been baptized into Christ Jesus. You've been placed into Christ. Therefore, you're buried with him. You've been placed into the jar, therefore you're buried with him, and you've been raised with him. In verse 5, if we have been united with Christ, now I want you to think of united in this way. Some of you can identify with this, others may not be able to. Take a piece of steel, you take a second piece of steel, and you lay them side by side, and you weld them together. What happens? How many pieces of steel do you have? You have one. You take Jesus Christ, believers are united. They come together. They become a unit. Just like you have the head and the physical body and the body. They're a unit. Christ, the believer, United. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will also, also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Are we hoping to be crucified with Christ and raised with Christ, or have we been crucified with Christ and raised with Christ? Is it past or future? Peggy, it's past. It's already true. Verse 8, now if we died with Christ... Notice again, with Christ, we died with Christ. We believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, if Christ died to sin once for all, how often do we die to sin? Once for all. We can get that through our mind in our thinking. That's why he says in verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus.
in Christ Jesus. Count yourselves dead to sin. We'll give some examples of that, but alive to God. So the idea of counting yourself is reckoning. He's dealing with the thought process. I'm dead to the sin, and I'm alive to obedience. I'm dead to whining and complaining. I'm alive to praising and thanksgiving. I'm dead to worrying about what's going to happen with our country, and I'm alive to trusting God in his sovereignty over our country. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You're in Christ. The jar has been buried. The jar has been raised. Therefore don't let sin reign in your moral body that you, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. JT. Have you ever had an argument with your sisters? Have you ever said unkind things to them? Have you ever said kind things to them? See, when Jason's, Jason, when JT said unkind things to his sisters, he's offering his tongue as an instrument of wickedness. When he says nice things, he's offering his tongue as an instrument of righteousness. He is talking about our physical body. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. We're tempted to do that in many ways. We were kids, we used to have to chase chickens around. And sometimes you just get frustrated at the dumb things. And we killed a few because you get frustrated at them and you kick them hard enough and they just don't make it or you grab them around the neck and swing them around or two because you're frustrated. That's using your hand as an instrument of wickedness. It's an instrument of wickedness when we let our mind turn on how terrible someone is. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its evil, your evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. So we make a choice. We think, I'm in Christ. When Christ died, I died. When Christ arose, I arose. I'm in Christ. I'm in that jar, if you please. So I can say no to sin. He clearly says in verse 14, for sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. See, the law says do it, but doesn't give the strength to do it. Grace says, here's the ability to respond to what God has provided. So in this passage, we have been baptized into Christ Jesus. 
When I took that $5 and put it in the jar, we were placed into Christ. When we come to faith in Christ, we've been baptized into his death. So when Christ died, we died. We're united with him in his death. We're welded to him, can't be separated. We're united with him in his resurrection. And again, this is all tied in with in Christ. The old self has been crucified with him. I'm dead to this temptation. And this temptation is not the problem. It's what we do with it. Sometimes we get upset. I keep being tempted. <laughs> You're on earth. What do you expect? But how do you respond to the temptation? He says, the old self has been crucified. We died with Christ. And because we died with him, we'll live with him. And we're alive to God in Christ Jesus. I encourage you to take these items and think them. Within an hour or an hour and a half of my getting up, I go through, I start with Colossians, then I go to Ephesians, then I go to 1 John, then there's a couple in Peter, and then I go to Romans. And what I do is, in my mind, I go through all the into, with, in Christ. I'm not sure I get them all every day, but I think about them. What I have in Christ. I've been redeemed, I've been forgiven, I've been reconciled to God. It's in Christ or hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. A couple weeks ago, we gave out some. Here we have some more. And I go over all of them in my thinking. Why? I want to think about my union with Christ. So that when I come back from jogging as an example, and I say, I'm so tired. I can respond correctly to that. Or even to sit down and jog, and I think I don't feel like doing it whatsoever. I'm getting on my shoes. I'm united with Christ. If my body's a temple of the Holy Spirit and the doctor says I need to take care of it, I can go out and jog for God's glory. Say, so what's jogging have to do with God's glory? All of life is to be for God's glory, but it's that union with Christ. So some of you kids will get up on Tuesday morning and say, I don't want to go to school. You say, Mom, do I have to? Dad, do I have to? Yeah, you have to go to school. Really? Yeah. And then mom or dad say, remember, assuming you're a believer, you're united to Christ. You can go with a good attitude. You can say no to I don't want to and say yes to I want to please God. I want to obey those in authority over me today. Let's think about this in daily life. Identify the area of obedience. Admit your helplessness. Acknowledge in Christ. Put off and put on in your belief, thinking, and act. Belief, attitude, and thinking, and then act. Now let's give a couple examples. 
the whole religious world today says you must do to measure up. Paul is saying in Romans 6, it's already done. We have to choose to admit that we struggle with obeying and accepting God when he says in Christ, you're done. You're measured out. Well, you say, an hour ago, I had some pretty bad thoughts. Those bad thoughts did not keep you from being measured up in Christ. Because being measured up is not dependent upon you or me. It's dependent upon Christ. Well, you say, I just had an argument with my mom and dad. Yes, but you're still measured up. We make a choice to renew our mind to think that I can't measure up myself. I'm measured up in Christ. That's Romans 6, 11 through 14. How many of you have ever come to the end of the day, it was just bad? Nothing seemed to go right. And your responses weren't very good either. You thought, I'm really, really a lousy Christian. And Paul is saying, knock it off. You're measured up in Christ. But God... Do you know how I responded today? Yeah, I know how you responded. That's why you need grace today. That's why you need Christ today. Because it's through him you have forgiveness. It's through him that you're kept clean. You're measured up. But I don't feel it. We live by the truth of God's word, not by the feeling. We make a choice, identify the area of obedience, admit we're helpless, we can't deal with this, acknowledge who we are in Christ. Another application. <clears throat> how many of you or how many of us are hoping that life might get a little easier and better? Do you ever think that? Oh, I just think life should get a little better. I hope it don't get any worse. It can't be any worse than yesterday or the last year. It's really been the pits. We think, oh, maybe it'll get a little bit better. And Paul says, check that out the window. Because we don't arrive on this earth. There's no perfection on this earth. Oh, maybe the kids will be better tomorrow. Maybe my parents will be a little more cooperative tomorrow. You know, Maybe they'll give me what I want. Or maybe I'll feel better tomorrow. And Paul says, give up. Trying to arrive on this earth. Because in chapter 8, and my examples are coming from you know, Romans, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Then he goes on to talk about the fact that the earth is groaning, waiting for the redemption. Ah, oh, God, I hope it's better tomorrow. And God says, whoa. Use your mind to give up thinking it's going to be better and use your mind to think that whatever comes, you're in Christ, you've been baptized with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, and whatever comes, he'll give you the grace to get through it. Give up that demand that it's got to improve. 
So, Lord, I had three flat tires yesterday. How about none for the next five years? God says, forget about the flat tires. Reflect in my grace. So if you have five today, that's okay. My grace is sufficient. You don't need to be consumed. Now, you usually don't have five flat tires in a day, but, you know, just trying to use an extreme. But isn't Christ sufficient? And Paul is saying in Romans 6, count yourself dead to sin. In Romans 13, 1 through 7, he talks about submitting to authorities. <clears throat> Do you ever struggle with submitting to governmental authority? You pay your taxes with a grudging heart. Moan and groan and complain about it. You think sometimes, boy, that law is stupid. But remember, Paul wrote in the context of the Roman government. And the Roman government was not real nice. But yet he says, obey, honor respect what's he saying you've been baptized with Christ you've been raised with Christ your life is in Christ use your mind to think correctly about the government use your mind to tell your foot to back off on the gas pedal when you see that sign and you realize you're going a little over. He says you can do that because you're in Christ. Submit to authority. On the flip side of the sheet, we have some statements. <clears throat> Just some thoughts on helpless dependency. Now we're looking to God. We're grateful what God chose to give us in Christ. Spiritual blessings, we know we were in the past dead, but we're grateful for what we have in Christ. We've been buried with Christ. We've been, we've been raised with Christ, along with a host of other things. We're thankful for what we have received when we deserve judgment. Thanks, good Lord. Been baptized with or baptized into Christ, been <clears throat> baptized into his death, been united with him. I'm one with Christ. Knowing a host of other things. We sing amazing grace sometimes, and we need to keep in mind God's grace is amazing. We're amazed at grace and continue to be amazed at grace. I just can't believe God gives me all this. I can't believe that I keep being measured up. I can't believe God continues to love me. If he really knew me, he wouldn't love me. Well, he knows you pretty well, but he still loves you. Just amazed at grace. We act on the impossible from God's point of view. There have been some hard things in life that I have done. And I 
mentioned this a couple of times in some different settings. I can't remember what setting. I know I mentioned in the Sunday school class this morning. But when I was in, in prison, visiting in prison, better clarify that. When I was visiting in prison over the last couple of years, I had a guy say to me, you want to talk to this inmate. And the guy I was visiting is in the block in Luzerne County Prison, that is, for those that aren't real good, you know. Worst block, I guess you would say. He says, you need to talk to this other guy. I said, tell me a little about him. And they usually don't say too much about other inmates because they kind of keep to themselves. But I guess because there was a little done or a, some decision already made in this guy's case, he said, well, he murdered someone. I said, I'll call him down sometime and ask him what his name was. And went to visit the same guy later, and he, he said, uh, Pastor, he called me Pastor, even though he's never come to our church. He said, there's another guy you need to see. I said, tell me a little about him. Well, I can't talk a lot about him, but he murdered someone. I said, you want me to call down these two murderers and talk to them? Yeah. He said, you, I think you might be able to help him. I said, I'll try to calm down sometime. So the one time I was in, I said, okay, God, you know, I, I don't want to do this. I really don't. You know, I grew up in a county that uh, we had a prison with, I think, two cells. And probably 95% of the year, there was no one in it. And I live in a county now that has hundreds of inmates. And I'm going to go in and visit one of them. I said, Lord, I don't want to. I said, I guess I can do the impossible, Lord. I'll call him down. So I called him down, and he told me what happened. and told me about murdering his wife and so on, and the impact that it had on his family. And then he said something very interesting. He said, I guess there's no hope for me. I said, yeah, there's some hope for you because there's some murders in the Bible. But my point is, I didn't want to do it. It's not who I am. I don't feel comfortable talking to inmates, especially like that. But I'm in Christ. Now, I want you to think about someone who has hurt you somewhere along the line very deeply. Get someone in mind if that is possible. If you have never forgiven them, why not? You're dead to not forgiving. That's the impossible. If we've been united to Christ, then we act on what seems impossible to us. We're dead to sin, so we can act. So you have a habit that you know is just not good. So I can't change it. Whoa. You can't, yes. But are you willing to? If you're willing to, then you can tackle it because you're in Christ. You died with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. 
And you can tackle that. We act on the impossible from our point of view. You've heard the statement already, we, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. As we get older, we get more ingrained in our habits. Do you ever consider that as we change, as we get older, some habits that we may have had for years that are not good, that we just reflect our being in Christ more and more? We're acting on the impossible. One of the most delightful things in the world is to see an older person change. They may have had a habit for 10 years or 15 years. They may, may have been taught something for years. And as they study Scripture, they realize this is not correct. I need to change. For God's glory, I'm in Christ. I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. I've been baptized with Christ, or into Christ. I've been raised with Christ. I'm seated with Christ. I'll deal with this. And they change. Impossible from their point of view, but not from God. Therefore, we glory in what he gave, not how we want him to give. Thanks, Lord, for what you gave. Not demanding what we want him to give. We have no agenda for God. It is Christ's agenda. We don't have an agenda for God. God, here's my agenda for you. We say, no, Christ, what's your agenda for me? Well, I want you to rejoice today. I want you to be thankful. I want you to obey your boss. I want you to listen to your teachers. That's my agenda for you. Okay. We have no demands for God. The song we sang this morning, Make Me a Captive, Lord, is giving up our demands. God, fix me. God says, now you're demanding. Change this problem, Lord. God says, no, you're demanding. I want to give you the grace to walk through this. Paul prayed three times that his thorn in the flesh would be removed, and God said, no. Paul said, then I'll glory in him. <laughs> became a captive to the Lord. We respond to a ready being measured up in Christ. How much time do we spend thinking about how lousy we are? Or don't you ever do that? I blew it here, I blew it there, I did this yesterday. In Christ, baptized with Christ, raised with Christ, we accept that we're ready measured out. Be like Alan and Peg. We'll say Hayden's having a hard day. He got in trouble at school and the principal called his parents and said, come and get your son, he's been a bad boy. I'm making this up, Hayden, okay? And... Uh, Next day, he doesn't get his work done. He did lousy in a test, and he gets home, and he kicks the dog and punches Hayden out and yells at Kelsey. And he has some very unkind things to say to Mom, and then Mom says, well, when Dad gets home, I'll let him deal with you. Well, I don't care about my dad. He's just a... Good nobody, good for nothing, Dad. 
So dad comes home and mom says, here's what happened. Hayden says, I'm not going to listen to you, dad. I don't have to. And Alan says, Hayden, I just want you to know you have just become a non-son. You're not my son anymore. You say, Alan can't do that. I know. He's a son. And he'll always be a son. We're measured up in Christ and we will always be measured up. That's a struggle to accept that because it depends on Christ. So grace results in then giving. We're willing to give, not merely be takers. We need to take because someone wants to give to us. But we give to others what they don't deserve. So Alan has a good talk with Hayden. And Alan sees that he's softening a little, but uh, not a lot. And Alan says, hey, Hayden, why don't you and I go out for some pizza? You say, but Hayden's heart isn't very good. And dad's going to take him out for pizza, something he really enjoys doing. That's not good. Is it any different than God saying you're redeemed and you're forgiven and you're in Christ, even though... You didn't respond well today. See, that frees us to be givers. And then we become worshipers rather than consumers. Life is not about what's it, what is in it for me. That's a consumer. Life is giving to God. It's like going into Walmart or Target or some whatever store you may shop in. And you're not going in as a consumer. You're not going in to buy. Before you went to the store, you went to the bank and withdrew $2,000 from your account. And you just stand at the checkout counter and you see someone go through and you say to the cashier, I'll pay this person's bill. I'm here to give today, not to consume. And that bill is 200 bucks around there. I think, well, I have $1,800 left. And you walk over to another checkout area and you observe and someone comes through and you think, say to the cashier, I'm going to pay for that one. We say these people are not worthy. What did they do to deserve this? Nothing. But what did we deserve, do to deserve grace? See, that moves us to worshiping and not consuming. God, give me. We lay that aside and we say, God, I just want to respond to you. Questions or comments before we pray together? In Christ, with Christ, 
Think about that. Ponder that on your handout. You know, those in Christ, with Christ, and so on are listed. Upstairs in the bathroom, Ruthann uses that bathroom more than I do. She has a sheet we handed out a couple weeks ago, I think from Ephesians, two weeks ago, laying there, listing all the items that Ephesians talks about in Christ. Why she have that there? To renew the mind. We need those tools sometimes. Father, we thank you for all that we have in Christ. We've been baptized into Christ. We've been raised with Christ. May we grow in understanding in the midst of living in a broken world all that we have in Christ. We haven't arrived, Father. We're in process. But may we grow in surrendering Reckoning and counting ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.